0: Ready to have an open and honest discussion about sex and spiritual wellness without secrets, censorship, or barriers? This is Unbuckled with your host, Christy Ann Bella. In this program, there are no topics that are off the table. From religion to health, feelings to sexuality. Get ready to hear from some incredible people. And now, here's Christy Ann Bella.
1: Hello and welcome to Unbuckled with intimacy architect, me, the marvelous Miss Christiane Bella. Hello, hello, everyone. So, today, my guest is a psychotherapist, author, and all around incredibly, probably the most in tune man I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I
2: say that. Awesome. Uh, so,
1: welcome, Marcus.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, so, Let's talk a little bit about how you've navigated blocks in your life to be in such a place of healthy masculinity um, in a world where toxic masculinity is all the buzz these days. And and this attempt to demolish the patriarchy (laughs) and yet here you are a self actualized man about town.
2: Yeah. The, uh, Well, thank you. And it has never felt like it's about any of that. It's felt like battling against that inner critic, that inner voice that is constantly just telling me I'm such a fuck up. And so the, uh, like the, and and that's really common for all of us, not, not just men, but women too. We're all scared of not being good enough, you know, and that's a early childhood wound that, um, you know, if you look at the developmental stages, it's like that's stage two. This is shit that should have been taken care of between 18 months and three years of age. And none of our parents did a perfect job. And we grow up actually considering the possibility that we're not good enough in some way, which is ridiculous because it's never about that. And, you know, I, you know, like a lot of times terrified that I'm a fuck up. And so I work my ass off to deal with my own shit, to not try and put it off on other people. To and also to to get to know who I really am in spite of that voice that says I'm a fuck up is like what are my actual gifts? What am I actually here for? You know, but it it certainly doesn't feel like awakening and lightning. It it feels like you know a slugfest with the with my inner asshole. That's what it feels like. You know, and, and it never ends. It never ends. The, um, you know, just that at some points we feel like we can, you know, trust ourselves. And, you know, some days that's, that's the best we can do.
1: Yeah. So I love what you said about, um, not putting it off on others and I feel like that's a tricky spot sometimes for me is is wanting to share wanting to be real wanting to be transparent with what I'm going through but at the same time not projecting it or burdening someone else so how do you make those distinctions and how do you find that balance
2: the yeah great question and the okay it's a good rule of thumb to go by is that we assume that nothing we're feeling is 100% factual. Mm -hmm. It's like all we can know is what we're feeling in the moment. And so it's kind of the the quick way of saying it is feelings are not facts. Mm -hmm. It's like, you didn't make me upset. I'm upset. You know, I feel like I'm upset because you said this. I feel like I'm upset, you know, because you're attacking me, but that's just a feeling. You know, I always try and leave the door open. Like what I try to do, I always try and leave the door open for the fact that I may be completely full of shit in the story that I tell about what's going on. Right. And that, uh, cause, it may be like my defensiveness. It doesn't want to take responsibility for something that's going on. And it may be that actually I got nothing to be defensive about.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: um, so that's like the, the first thing that I would say about that is like never assume that we're right even when, you know, like righteous indignation as a defense mechanism against taking responsibility, you feel like you're right. And you can argue forever that you're right when you're full of shit. And so like, developing a really healthy respect for the fact that I may be the one that's full of shit is like a a really good place to be without beating up on ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, just saying, look, I don't know the truth coming at it from the attitude of, I don't know the truth. All I know is how I'm feeling right in this moment. Yeah. So does that make sense?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, so, it's yeah, not judging, point, but, exactly. but yeah, erring on the side that, you know, that <laughs> your, your view uh, is, is not inherently the, the one to go shouting on the mountaintop, you know, yeah. that, that it yeah. is end all be all experience. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah, And, um, after that, there's in learning to trust ourselves, there's a piece that, um, there's a piece of it that it's impossible to teach when somebody's first coming into dealing with their work and they're and they feel like their life is just a roller coaster. But once we've experienced and gotten really familiar with a, a sense of, of true inner peace, we can kind of use that as a stronghold and, and as a guidepost while still maintaining the fact that we may be full of shit. But... Like when, when things feel really, truly peaceful, there's a better chance that we're not full of shit. Mm -hmm. So it may be good to go ahead and trust what we're going with. But anytime we're feeling angry, anytime we're, you know, in a place of judgment, anytime we're feeling You know, that, that, uh, that righteous indignation, Mm -hmm. it's like, we may be right factually, but there's something going on inside that needs some attention, some kind of emotional, something that is way out of balance, way out of whack. And, and that, those are like the big red flags to, to look inside rather than, you know, looking and it's like, we're probably projecting something on somebody else and we need to clean up what's going on inside, you know, first.
1: Yeah. So you primarily work um, as a woman's coach for it's, sex and relationships.
2: It's kind of turned out that way. I, I certainly didn't plan on that. I, I did my internship in graduate school, working with combat veterans and uh-huh. loved working with those guys. And um, then as I started working in my private practice, it was 80% women that were showing up. And, um, and, and that really kind of was a good fit because when, when I was young, my father was teaching feminist rhetoric when, when I was a little, little kid, like in the mm-hmm. 70s. And so I was constantly being, you know, being taught. Of feminist rhetoric back then and there were also like when i was back in the 70s there were not a lot of women phds in the world there just weren't yet and um i got to a lot of, i got to know a whole lot of them, like a whole lot of women PhDs and saw them in, in positions of power in the academic world. My father was a college professor and the, um, and then when I found my spiritual path in my, in my twenties, like I was an emotional basket case and, you know, I'll be the first one to admit that the, uh, but it was the women that had done their own work that were really helpful and started teaching me about the, the spiritual aspects of the divine feminine and honoring the divine feminine. And so like all these pieces together just kind of wove themselves together to where I, the people that were getting the best results from working with me, were the women and you know it's like i get great results with with men too but it uh you know my practice at one point was about 80 percent women and um now it's closer to like 65 35 Mm -hmm. where uh but still predominantly women yeah
1: and something that i was moved by um in a brief uh, remote session we had done together was just really being in tune to whether or not a woman is open. And so whether that be actually sexually, like physically vagina, or yeah. whether it be like emotionally, mentally
3: yeah. in
1: a space to receive. Um, And I, I, you know, obviously, like you said, you, you, you have a spiritual path. I know, you know, you've yeah. been studying the native American spiritual path for 25 years. You've done uh sun dances for 16 years uh, as yeah you know, it didn't just snap overnight, but what, what were some of the the pieces along the way to just be able to tune in to such subtlety to notice is somebody shut off and am I trying to penetrate with words or whatever, but physically (laughs) something that is not in a receptive space.
2: Yeah. (sighs) That's a question I want to have an answer to Mm -hmm. that can reach the most brain dead shut down people. Okay. And I don't think I have it. Right. The, the people that like will understand it will understand it, but I want it this is something I want to teach everybody. And there's, I can, Tell you what it feels like to me. Okay. When I'm with somebody and they're not present. Mm-hmm. Um, like, well, i give you an example. Um, is it okay to be kind of, uh, to oh, really yeah. talk about uh, sex and is, be graphic?
1: Yes, you can absolutely okay. be graphic on the show.
2: There's, okay. Unbuckled. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna unbuckle it, folks. Hold on. <laughs> okay, and put it this way: There's, if I'm only interested in my physical pleasure, it doesn't matter what a woman d- does when she goes down on me. It's going to achieve that physical pleasure. Okay, like the the physical parts, just the the friction skin-to-skin friction, like that'll do it. If we're also wanting the emotional connection that's possible and the, the spiritual alignment, the spiritual expansiveness, then we get into the finer points and it is a whole different thing. Like, Getting a blowjob from a woman that's trying to please me from a place of insecurity sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. The it is not pleasurable to get a blowjob from a woman coming from a place of insecurity. Mm-hmm. Because what she's doing is trying to love me with fear. She's not loving me with love. And if we're paying attention, we can feel that. There's the, uh, um, you know, it's it's like, uh, I was w- working with a couple um, the other day and the, the woman, Uh, they were talking about, we've been working, like diving really deep into the sexual stuff and they, uh, and at one point he lost his erection and she immediately went into her own insecurities and shame spiral about it's her because she's not attractive enough. She's not sexy enough. Is there something going on? She's not, that he's not talking about and the, the, and it wasn't any of that. What what it came out to was when they shifted positions in bed, like he wasn't quite aware of it at first, but she got really scared. It was her own insecurity came out that said, you know, I'm scared. I don't feel good to him. I'm scared, I'm not exciting enough. And she was doing great before they changed positions that it was just one of those strange being human neuron firing things that this insecurity just, bam, at that moment came up and she got scared. And she wasn't as present or not present in the same way when that insecurity came up. And the way she said it uh, when I was on the phone with them is... She goes, she said to her husband, she said, no, I got scared. My pussy doesn't feel good to you. Mm. And the, uh, he started to answer, but I, I interjected. I said, no, your pussy doesn't feel good to him when you're scared. Right. Like the physical flesh doesn't change, mm-hmm. but he's not interested in the flesh. He wants to feel your heart. Like fully impregnating your pussy. He wants to feel like he's sticking his cock inside your heart itself. He wants to feel like he's fucking your soul. And the, and, and she, and she was like, fuck, I did it again, didn't I? And I was like, yeah, you did. And the, you know, and that. It's like, that's, that's the piece that in our culture, we're not taught. We're taught about sex only on the physical level. Right. That, you know, if you're only looking for the physical sensations, then it really doesn't matter who you're with. It's like, you're going to rub your body parts together for a short amount of time. And that's, you know, enough. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's enough for you. The when, um, when it's not about just the physical pleasure, when it's about the emotional connection and the pleasure of the emotional connection, when it's about the pleasure of the spiritual expansiveness, it's like, you're not going to be in a hurry to make that end. Not going to be like men aren't going to be, they're not going to be in a hurry to to ejaculate quickly, to feel that pleasure.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Like I want that emotional pleasure to last you know, a long time. I want that expansiveness to continue on for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And it's like, in coming from that perspective, it's like ejaculations are going to happen at times and they're not going to happen at times, but mm-hmm. either way, it doesn't matter because we're, having the most fun, the most incredible pleasure possible, which is two souls, two hearts touching, while feeling wonderful physical sensations at the same time. And the, um, so it's, you know, there's been so much wounding for men and women Mm
3: -hmm.
2: around that teaching of only paying attention to the physical. It's like, you know, as men were trained to ignore our feelings no matter what. And so we only live up here. Mm -hmm. And so the only awareness we have of of sexual pleasure, you know, it's like the sexual pleasure begins and ends in our dick and there's nothing else. You know, because we're going to be like, wow, this feels good. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm done now. Where's the next one? But you know, that's not the pleasure the heart feels. That's not the pleasure the spirit feels. And the, um, you know, and so when men come at, at sex that way, the, uh, it's not satisfying to us except physically it's not satisfying to women except physically but there's still that longing in the soul you know that we either have to ignore you know or start to deal with and okay that's a long rant no
1: it's great i i love it (laughs) i love it um So I know we're getting pretty close to our, uh, but I want to jump in and see, we could always uh, circle back around. Do you feel like you can be in the body without having a spiritual connection? Like, do you feel like there is, there is almost like a prerequisite to to having to do some kind of spiritual work, soul work, whatever you want to look at it as, something that is, you know, in order to actually get
2: more. Yeah, that's a good question. That was my far-off stare, thinking about it as you were asking the question. Um, I, uh, <laughs> my honest, <laughs> an unscientific answer, why the fuck would you want to? That's my honest reaction, like knowing what's possible. That's like saying, hey, do you have to shoot for a 10 out of 10? Can't you just shoot for a 7 out of 10? And, and like so call it my bias mm-hmm. the um the the way i look at it and i'm open for anybody to challenge me on this point but um if it it, it in my experience in my perspective Like if we look at pleasure on a scale of zero to 10, Mm -hmm. it's like the physical part can get you up to a three. And if that's all you've ever known, then that three is going to be the most amazing pleasure ever. You know, when it's really good, the emotional part adds another third. Mm. And the, the spiritual part seems to, add a whole nother, you know, like call it a third, call it another dimension of pleasure. Uh, another, um, you know, a whole nother level of awareness. And I, uh, you know, but I've asked myself that question. It's like, do you have to be spiritually expansive to really enjoy sex? And I don't know the answer to that, but I know that I, you know, at this point, having experienced what I've experienced, I wouldn't want it any other way. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And, uh, you know, it it really does seem like, hey, you know, can't you just be satisfied with one shoe? Why do you want two shoes all the time? You know, it's like, we, you know, we've got we've got tree bark, you know, like, why can't you just chew on that and be happy? Mm -hmm. Do you really want the filet mignon or? In the tree bark, good enough mm. that um, you know. It's like knowing what's possible. It maybe I'm just spoiled. <laughs> but I kind of like it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely one of those things that, like, once you open that door, you can't go back to the unknowing. You know? Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, I think in in my own personal experience, and in and a lot of clients I attract, I assume for. Because my personal experience, religion created some blocks around finding my true Fuck. soul spirituality. And so yeah. it was yeah, a they- process of first unraveling that bullshit yeah. to yeah. return to what true spirit essence soul yeah. is. Um so, we only have a couple oh, minutes till break. And uh, okay. so, I feel like that the rest of that conversation is going to have to wait till we come back break. Okay. Um, but for those of you who uh, are interested in following Marcus um, and working with Marcus, you can find him on Facebook. It's Marcus Ambruster. Am I saying that right?
2: Yes, that's right.
1: It's M A R C U S dot A M B R E S T E R. And then you can also find him on YouTube, Marcus Ambruster. Um, so definitely check out his work on the, the social media realm. And what is the name of your book?
2: Uh, the name of the book is Pillars of Awesome Relationships. And the, um, yeah, the subtitle is How to Love Your Man When You're Ready to Kill Him. <gasps> nice. And, that, uh, and for anybody listening, I, my intention was to write a book for women Mm-hmm. But the biggest response I've gotten is from men, and um, I, I've had four Star Trek geeks, like true Trekkers, say, "Dude, this book is a universal translator between the masculine and the feminine," and so they've they've said they've used the the Star Trek. Idea of a universal translator to say is like now I understand what my wife's you know really upset about. Now I understand what she's saying when she does this because we're talking about the need the needs that are not being met underneath. And then you've got all you know all these words and the arguments that happen. But the book goes to the, what are the real needs that need to be satisfied and how about you know how to go about getting those met more easily
1: wonderful so pillars of of awesome relationship
2: yeah and it's on amazon
1: all right well we will dive into more about spirituality and relationships when we come back from our break you're listening to unbuckled are you tired of having the same fight over and over again is it hard to remember a time when you felt close to each other Before you call it quits, do you want to do something to rebuild that spark of intimacy? Of course you do. Ignite the passion like never before with Intimacy Architecture. Text 626-310-5159 to set up your relationship consultation. Again, text 626-310-5159.
0: Think about how much sound you hear all the time. Noise, music, your own heartbeat. What is it made of? How does it work? How does it affect you? The universe of music takes you into the particles of life and the beat of living. It is an interactive online masterclass of music and science taught by the internationally renowned musician and scholar, Dr. Marcin Bella. Visit theuniverseofmusic.com. That's theuniverseofmusic.com. You are listening to Unbuckled with Christy Ann Bella. Reach out to Christy Ann with any questions or comments at intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. That's intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. Christy Ann welcomes your emails. Now, back to the show.
1: Hello and welcome back. I'm Christiane Bella, your intimacy architect, and you are listening to Unbuckled with our guest today, author and psychotherapist, Marcus Ambruster. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you. So we are in the about to dive even deeper into uh, unbuckling the yeah. relationship of religion and spirituality and how, because you and I actually... I guess we met via social media, technically, but the yeah. first time I remember actually meeting you, I had just come out of—I think it was my very first sweat lodge—and um, mm-hmm. you're like, "You're the Christiane.
3: <laughs> like, <laughs> and
1: I was like, "Yeah, that's yeah. me. I'm I'm that that person." Um, yeah. And then I got to learn more about. I, I mean, you—you've been really immersed in this this world of of the Native American spiritual path. Did yeah. you have a religious upbringing? before you yeah. came to i grew
2: that? up yeah i grew up suburban methodist okay. like uh you know like a little more moderate than the conservative baptist yeah. southern baptist that i was around but uh still um you know the full amount of of shame associated with real, just about any religious path
1: yeah. So, how did you or did you feel like you had to dissolve some of your beliefs around that in order to even come to this more uh Native American
2: tradition and Yeah. It was um just religiously uh um, I tried really really hard to uh I tried really hard to be a good Christian mm-hmm. and um but like I wasn't getting what I needed
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um the you know like I, I wanted to uh, I I had a profound longing to connect with the divine mm-hmm. But that's the easiest way to put it. I I couldn't have described it that way. You know, then yeah. I didn't didn't have the language, didn't have the understanding, and you um, know tried everything that was in front of me, and uh, and nothing was really satisfying me. I um so I read uh, I read the book black elk speaks in undergraduate in a a philosophy class. It was a philosophy of religion class actually. And um, I also got really sick. I had just uh, the flu, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was in bed for four days with like 104 fever. And, And during that time I had a, call it a a dream, call it a hallucination from the fever, call it a vision, whatever it was. I remembered something after, uh, that, that four days of being sick in bed. And it kind of pointed out what, you know, what I needed to do, what I was supposed to do the rest of my life. And, uh, and you know without telling that whole story it it was essentially um let let the people know let all the people of the world know that we are all one that was um it was essentially the vision i heard the voice of the divine and um and it was in a native american the vision was set in a native american setting Mm -hmm. and the uh, but it wasn't just let them know that we are all one anybody can make a bumper sticker it was like let's you know help the people to unlearn what they've learned that Mm -hmm. keeps them from knowing that we are all one help the people heal the hurts that prevent them from having on a you know in their heart the felt sense Mm -hmm. Mm. of oneness with all of their brothers and sisters in the world and help the people to help the people to find their own heart
3: Mm.
2: so that they'll feel a sense of peace, Mm. which enables them to feel the connectedness with, with other people. And so it was like it would be great if my life path had been to make a bumper sticker, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the guy that made the "Have a Nice Day" smiling right. face T-shirt. Like yeah. that was it, and uh, he was done. His work was done. Yeah, this this uh, this path seems a little more difficult mm-hmm. in a way. I, mean, I don't know if it's difficult, but it's definitely involved.
1: Yeah. So you've done uh, what's known as a
2: Sundance. Yeah, um, yeah, it's um, the so the Sundance is the traditional Native American four day dance with four days no food no water. The um, there's a Native American elder named Joseph Rayal. He uh, uh, he grew up in Pecos Pueblo, and he was one of the Pueblo Indians. And he was, his grandfather was the chief holy man of the Pueblo. And so he got to learn from his grandfather. Mm-hmm. And um, when, uh, so Grandpa Joseph, he went away to school. And when he came back to the Pueblo, he wanted to teach everything that his grandfather had yeah. taught him. And he said nobody was really interested. And so he, uh, went out, um, he didn't say for vision quest, but basically he just prayed for, uh, for guidance. And what he saw was to teach the people that are hungry. Mm. And that was the white people. He said, Mm -hmm. like, you know, since the, you know, through the eighties and nineties and into now it's the white people that are hungry for, to find meaning, yeah, hungry to find their place. Mm-hmm. And they've, so many people have become disillusioned with, you know, what we call organized religion
3: yeah.
2: and they're, they're wanting something more and they, and they mm-hmm. see through um, the, the limits of the, the fear-based way of teaching a spiritual idea and the shame-based way of trying to enforce, Mm -hmm. you know, spiritual awakening. And so the, you know, Joseph found, he started finding the people that were hungry and Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, and I just threw a series of random events, seemingly random, I found my way into the dance Arbor, but Joseph started just, I I mentioned this in honor of the traditional native American work. The Joseph started essentially a new tradition that is open to everybody. And it's inspired by all the native American teachings. And it is not specifically the traditional Sundance. So, um, And one thing he called it the sun moon dance, Mm -hmm. the sun being the masculine moon being the feminine. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's trying to find that perfect balance between the masculine and feminine within all of us. And the idea being that when we come from a place of balance within ourselves, then we can find balance in our relationships. And so, yeah, I did. Um, the 16 years of the sun moon dance and it, uh, um, like I said, I was, I was a complete fucking mess. Um, you know, it, well, it still am, but the uh, even more so than, I guess, maybe, hopefully, but um, I did two, Sun, moon, dance is a year wow. for the first eight years. And this is four days, no food, no water, where you're dancing and praying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like every time the drum is going, you're up and dancing your path yeah. in into your truest spiritual self. Mm -hmm. Essentially is a metaphor that plays out in one of the metaphors that plays out in the dance, dancing deeper into your true self, dancing your most true self out to the world. Letting like dancing through the things that have kept you stuck from being the greatest version of yourself. Your most like the most aligned version of yourself the most aligned spiritually you know like it's essentially learning to be your higher self in the world you know the best of your ability and um, yeah so I actually did 16 dances in the first eight years which is crazy and nobody ever needs to do that and then uh yeah I finished out my 16 and uh it's uh, it was quite a trip, quite a transformation, and you know also fire tended for other sun moon dances for 16 years, mm-hmm. um, keeping a sacred fire going for four days, you know a lot of times without help. Um, it uh, yeah, it's quite a journey.
1: Yeah, what a dedication but, to
2: to opening yeah. your
1: heart and coming back to. Heart-
2: yeah, part dedication, part desperation. Because um, I had that longing to mm-hmm. to figure out. It was like, like I've I've got this sense of divinity, mm. like I've got this sense that like God is real, but I know it ain't the God that they're talking about. You know, like the the really. Uh, like a lot of people I grew up with, they're like used car salesmen for Jesus, like the worst stereotype of a used car salesman. they're like a used car salesman for Jesus, and it's <laughs> like they're I'm not buying what they're selling, yeah like. And so the like I've had two true, true visions of Jesus heard an audible voice and so like when the super Christians come at me I'm like look there's nothing you can tell me about Jesus I don't know like but you want to tell me like you want to get me listening tell me about you what's in your heart Mm -hmm. show me show me that the love of God resides within you otherwise get the fuck out of my face (laughs) and the uh you know and you would think that would piss a lot of people off mm-hmm. but it doesn't and i think it comes you know what they get in that is that um like they 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 feel the a little bit of the peace that i found really? around religious and spiritual matters mm-hmm. and like every <laughs> every one of them is just stunned and they're like, wow, <laughs> all you did was confront me. And that's the best testimony I've ever heard.
3: <laughs>
2: right. You know, come dance with me then.
1: Yeah. I love that. You know, yeah. So you have kids of your own and you're raising mm-hmm. uh, a son. How old is your son?
2: My son is 16. Wow. And he is so right a, in the
1: thick of hormones.
2: <laughs> God. And yeah. And he's a heavy metal like death metal guitar player. And I, I picked him up from, he went through the rock band camp at, at uh, Vanderbilt university. Um, Not last summer. Missed it because of COVID. But two years ago, they took, uh, he was 14 at the time. They put four metal heads, four 14 year old metal heads in a room together for four days Wow. and they said, okay, you guys write a song. They did their regular classes every day, but then they went in for their time just for their group. And so I didn't see my son all week until Thursday of that week, the fourth day of camp, and I said, you know, how's the song coming? And he says, he says Dad, I really like it. And I said, what is it? And He said, it's a death metal song about respecting women. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh my god that's, that's awesome what is it and he said well he said it it's he said that um, um uh, one of the kids modern terms for guys that have their head up their ass basically um he said these men that don't respect women they're so twisted in their own insanity that they really have no place in the world. Mm. And so the song was called twisted under insanity. And they wrote this song and it's basically said, you know, if, if you're so twisted in your own insanity that you can't respect the people around you, then you have no place in this world. They write a death metal song about respecting women. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I love these kids. And, uh, the, I don't know if that's, I know I put it up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, the band, they named these 14 year olds named their band Cheeto dust. And so the, I'll, <laughs> I'll make that public, but it, um, yeah, kids kid that's never been on stage before and he gets up and crushes it. And the, uh, you know, and I've also got a 14 year old daughter mm-hmm. and raising a daughter, the, uh, I wanted to teach her to believe in herself Mm -hmm. and the um, I didn't want her to have to go through, you know, a lot of the struggles that so many women go through, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, how do you teach a, you know, when she, she's 14 now. And one of the, one of the strongest women I know Mm -hmm. while still being a 14 year old goofball, who's fluent in sarcasm and, how do you teach her to believe in herself? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you teach a kid to do that? And the, uh, so when she was about eight years old, I started really trying to get one idea into her head. Mm -hmm. And this is still such a valuable lesson for anybody. It's like, if somebody only feels this big, if they can get you to feel this big, then they feel like they're okay, Mm -hmm. you know? And that, like, once you understand that concept and get how it comes out in our communication Mm -hmm. with how we try and either make ourselves seem big or make somebody else seem small, Mm -hmm. you get that it's coming from a place of only feeling this big. That insecurity drives so much of the communication and so and so much of what happens in relationships and it goes back to that you know that two year old need yeah. to know her own worthiness and you know if you look, look at the political what's so called discourse now in politics there's no discourse there there's no discussion it's I'm good you're bad and the other guy's going no i'm good you're bad and it's who can be the you know who can accuse the other one of being bad to make themselves good
3: Mm
2: -hmm. now in a relationship in a in a marriage if you have two people like arguing about who's good and who's bad Mm -hmm. nobody wins that argument If you have two people in a marriage arguing about who's right, that argument quickly devolves. It's no longer about who's right. It's about who's not wrong. Why you're not right. And it, you know, it spirals into chaos. The real issue is. I wanna know that I'm worthy. Mm. If I know my own worth, I don't have to worry about if I'm right or not. Because if I know I'm worthy and I happen to be wrong, Mm -hmm. then I go, oh, fuck, you're right, cool, okay. Because my worth is not at stake. Mm. So bringing up a daughter, teaching her that she's wonderful, Teaching her to see through other girls making yeah. snide comments to her,
3: right.
2: teaching her to see through the snide comments that boys make, mm-hmm. teaching her to feel her own heart,
3: yeah.
2: and and believing in herself, mm-hmm. while. Um, you know, like, learning to see through her own doubts mm. that are about her worth or whether she's good enough. And, you know, it's like, I've got a daughter who supports all the kids around her, you know, because she's already fought that battle.
3: Mm-hmm. She
2: sees through that bullshit,
3: yeah.
2: you know, and it's like, it's hopefully... She'll do the same with her kids. I want to teach, you know, I want to teach 10 million people to do it themselves, to mm-hmm. see through that bullshit, to straighten out their own communication, to affirm others mm-hmm. and while still holding others accountable. Right. You know, and so that this next generation, you know, has got a chance of not going through the the same bullshit that we've gone through.
1: Breaking the cycles.
2: Yeah. You've got to break the cycle. And, you know, and and look at, look at politics now. Like that's a pretty good indicator of where so many of us are.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And we need to learn this lesson. The, sorry, I think my microphone was hitting my necklace. The, uh, we need to, uh, we need to learn this lesson, you know, for the good of the people. We need to learn this lesson about our worth and putting somebody else down to try and prove my own worth.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it never works. Yeah.
1: So how do you build up yourself from a place that isn't egoic and is, is more centered in, in, in the heart?
2: <sighs> the good question the make it about really make it about love for the people
3: Mm.
2: makes about loving and caring for other people rather than about you know whether or not i'm good or it's not about me being awesome it's about you know i care about you mm-hmm. and you know, not care about people that doesn't uh yeah you know, it's a it's a different thing if i go well let me tell you something i love people better than anybody <laughs> <laughs> right. i'm the best no, at caring about people <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> like Oh, nope, no, nope. then I'm a politician again, <laughs> you know, but like when uh, you know, when we truly have the the highest good of everybody at heart, we're not coming from a place of ego. Mm-hmm. Now we can't do that if we're really, really hurting.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I've got to, got to be pretty started to say pretty to make it sound a little softer started to say we've got to be you know pretty selfish sometimes let's make this clear we have to be incredibly fucking selfish mm-hmm. in order to take such good care of ourselves yeah. that we're overflowing with enough love and care to take incredible care of the people around us got to be selfish and that selfish thing is another like red flag mm-hmm. the selfish people don't want you to take care of yourself
3: mm-hmm.
2: selfish people will always tell you that you're being selfish <laughs> when you take care of yourself because yeah. you shouldn't be taking care of you that's bad you should be taking care of me hmm then I will approve of you. Then I'll accept you,
3: mm-hmm.
2: which is a worth thing. Right. Like I'll approve of you and you'll be acceptable. You know, then you'll be good enough. If you do what I want, if you do what I need, mm-hmm. don't take care of yourself. That's bad. You're being selfish. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a selfish motherfucker. I take really good care of myself. And because I do that, I mean, I've got a lot of love and care to give. Mm-hmm. And it's not a thing where I'm putting myself last, taking care mm-hmm. of everybody else worse, because that mm-hmm. creates just as big of a problem. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, and that's that's a, that selfish thing's a big battle, you know, especially with women. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we're taught, take care of others first, you know, Mm -hmm. take care of your family, take care of your kids, take care of your husband, take care of everybody. Don't take care of you. And it's like your family suffers when you do that. Take such exquisite fucking care of yourself that your family can't help, but be happy with a woman that's there with them.
1: Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Important oh such stuff. good stuff. So um we've got just a couple minutes uh left. So I want to remind everyone the book Pillars of an Awesome Relationship. You can get that on Amazon. You can also find Marcus on Facebook, Marcus Ambruster, Marcus dot Marcus dot, Ambruster, M-A-R-C-U-S dot a-m-b-r-e-s-t-e-r as well as YouTube, Marcus Ambruster. And Thank you so much for, for being here and sharing with us uh, wonderful insights. And and yes, I'm a huge advocate for self-care is the first and foremost uh, priority. It is. uh, Yeah. It is the medicine that will (laughs) have that ripple effect that, that definitely helps the world. Uh, Well, thank you again for being here with us, Marcus. You have been listening to unbuckled with me. Christiane Bella, intimacy architect extraordinaire, and um, we love you and we wish you all the best. Have an awesome everything.
0: Thank you for listening to Unbuckled. You can join Christiane Bella for another program with amazing guests, stories, and advice every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to check out our new show coming soon.